Yeah, go hey, ahead. everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Total Basis Podcast. I am your host, Felipe. I'll make that correction right now. And say, every, hey, Sean, say hello to everybody out there. How are we doing, guys? Good evening to you and yours. Oh, man. Uh, we missed you last week. Leon's on. Hi, Leon. We missed you last week. It was, I, I didn't realize it was going to be me and Henry until I realized that you were not going to show up anytime soon. So I hope uh, everything got taken care of last week. Oh, yeah. It, it was nothing big. I'm glad you guys were able to, to carry on without me. I, I saw Henry was going to be joining us, so I knew he could fill in admirably, and that he did. Yeah. I'm really disappointed. I, I really wanted to talk about uh, the Robert Stevenson pick I had in the bullpen. I try my best. I try to uh, utilize my inner Sean with my horrible Alabama accent. And uh, Hey, mine isn't that bad. Come on now. Well, I don't know any other <laughs> Alabamian than Alabamers or whatever. <laughs> Uh, so uh, I, I try my best, and uh, it uh, it didn't sound very good. But you know, we were missing you. So, and then he also had like a million questions for you last week. I was hoping that you would hop on to answer those questions, but unfortunately, that did not happen. Uh, let's see here. But anyway, today it's uh, our penultimate uh, show in terms of the obscure lineup series. We got five more teams to go after this one. And today, if you're reading the caption of this uh, post, we will be talking about the Phillies, the Blue Jays, the Brewers, and the Braves. And uh, Sean, you want to explain why you have the raw? By the way, uh, it looks uh, it looks backwards on my end. Oh, it's backwards. Okay, uh, I'll see if I can fix it here in a minute. But I called it, and I have the raw in the background because the teams we picked out this week are extremely talented, just absolutely raw with talent. But the teams themselves have some definite flaws. Like the teams like the Braves, Brewers, Blue Jays, all have great hitting lineups, great hitters. But at pitching is kind of suspect. So this week, you know, we felt we had really strong lineups, right, right Felipe? But our pitching staffs were just kind of – I don't feel comfortable with some of these pitchers. But with the hitters, it's like easy lock-in money. And you'll see in our lineups, we had a lot of carryover at, with the hitting positions. And before we go into the lineups, I just wanted to do a quick synopsis, or just a real quick uh, summary on, all the, on the four teams we'll be discussing today, uh, if, you don't, if, you, if you don't mind, if you'll let yeah, me. Yeah, go for it. Me. Uh, the Braves, uh, this has to be the strongest team of this group, um, especially in the NL East. If, if, traditionally speaking, the NL East, they should be, once again, the, uh, the class of that division. Um, but it's very top-heavy in terms of the lineup. Uh, rotation's kind of weak compared to the other competing teams. But the big difference is the bullpen, right? Uh, yeah. Quickly moving to the Brewers. Uh, again, it's the Christian Yelich show. They look a little weaker this year. Actually, a lot weaker this year. But as long as but he's a able, rising star coming in. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about him just in a few here. Uh, rotation outside of uh, – help me out here. It's uh, Adrian Hauser and – there's another guy. Oh, uh, Brandon Woodruff. Brandon, uh, it's basically Brandon Woodruff, Adrian Hauser, and the Three Stooges. Yeah, once again, a weak rotation, but a very strong bullpen. Uh, the Phillies, uh, they're, I think uh, they are screwed, uh, especially if we're talking about the traditional NL East format. I, I, I'm, I'm keep alluding to the traditional NL East because I honestly don't know the realignment teams off the top of my head. But traditionally speaking, they are screwed because they, even though they keep Going to that, you know, free agency. Well, um, they they just have so many holes on that team. They went out and got Zach Wheeler, and it, but they still don't look very strong. Uh, and their bullpen is kind of meh. But Hector Neris provides a decent uh, ninth inning relief. 
back end option. Yeah. yeah, traditional closer, and we'll get to him in a little bit. And finally, the Blue Jays. I think that's the epitome of your of your title here, the raw and flaw, which uh, they have three major. As you all know, they have three major league baseball players, uh, sons of former major league baseball players, and Kevon Biggio. Uh, Bo Bichette, or as, I, as I've been uh, calling him lately, Bo Bichetti. And uh, who's the last guy? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And then it's all, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the rotation's horrible. Uh, I don't like it. The uh, bullpen is uh, non-existent. And I, I just wanted to point out that look out for this Nate Pearson kid. He also have a couple oh, of other arms as yeah. well. But uh, Nate Pearson's the big one down there. Yeah, I didn't and, I didn't even think uh, about Nate Pearson to add uh, in as an – I'm young, glad you man. mentioned him because I would have totally spaced on him. No, I can never forget about Nate Pearson, but he's too young. He's not ready for this year. Uh, even a, in a, if the season were to start in April, like we were hoping it would, uh, I wouldn't expect him to help much. He would be a, he would be a very long-term prospect for fantasy leaguers. But there's a guy to look out for in the minors, if there is a minor league season this year as well, is uh, Nate Pearson. There's a, uh, there's a couple of guys on the, uh, in the Blue Jays rotation uh, in terms of uh, prospects that are worth keeping an eye on as well, but they're kind of the lower tier. And that's the quick synopsis I wanted to just share because there's a there's a little bit of a of a of a pattern here with these four teams today. Strong or strong hitting, weak pitching. Well, bullpen is pretty strong unless it's yeah. the Blue Jays. Yeah, the, the, so. the, 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 unless you're the Blue Jays, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's get going. Let's. I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. Yeah, that's right because it's me. We always have a a screen share. <laughs> usually of a spreadsheet. Yeah, there it is. Uh, the splintered cell there. Can you see it, uh, Sean? Is, does it look good to you? Does it come out good? I need you to be my eyes in terms of the, uh, of the spreadsheet there as I share my screen. Okay. It looks like it's blackout on my end. Let me stop and reshare my screen. Oh, it just showed up. Golly. Yeah, yeah. It was a slightly delayed. It's, it's okay. We'll catch up here. All right. Anyway, we'll give yeah. Give a second to load. Because usually it, it, it always starts out bad. Like it never shows up. There we up. go. We're up. Okay, we're up. Okay, awesome. And listen, you guys could tell, like, what, the first uh, nine positions, it's pretty chalk. Sean and I have the exact same team, but <laughs> we're going to go ahead and talk about these guys anyway, starting at catcher with JT Realmuto. Uh, is he your number one consensus catcher coming into this year overall? I have a hard time putting them there. I really like Yasmani Grandal, even though the average might not be there, especially in a points league where Grandall's walks are definitely going to help out more. I just see JT Realmuto, if we rewind the clock about three years, he was one of the most underrated catchers in the game. He was flying under everybody's radar, this you know kind of heavier-hitting catcher for the Marlins that no one really talked about. And then fast-forward three years, and now he's a top-two catcher uh, playing in a very hitter-friendly park with the Phillies. But at the same time, I can't help but feel that he went from – underrated to overrated kind of quick and while well, I still picked him because he's the obvious choice over the last three years batting 277 333 476 with 63 home runs and over 450 RBIs and runs combined over the last three years I can't help but feel that the best value pick here and I didn't put him but I wanted to make sure I talked about him is Omar Narvaez who I got with the mystery relevant pick last year when he was in Seattle, left-handed hitting catcher, not a very good defender, but now he goes from Seattle to Milwaukee. And over the last three years, he actually has an identical batting average to JT Realmuso. They both batted 277. 
He has a on-base percentage 30 points higher than Real Muto in uh, a slugging about 50 points less. But over those last three years, Narvaez's weighted runs created plus, you know, total offensive output, not very relevant to fantasy, but I, I think it's a good predictor and analysis of skill. He actually has a higher WRC plus than JT Real Muto. And at the rank that you – you see, you just pulled it up. I, I'm seeing now. You have Narvaez ranked 14th. Yeah. I think uh, if you're in a 5 by 5 Roto League, I'd much rather spend a late-round pick on Narvaez than a top eight-round pick on JT Real Muto. Uh, you so know I, me. I, while I did pick Real Muto, I would be remiss if I did not let you guys know how good Narvaez has been the last three years. You know why I put him down to 14th, right? Why is that? Because he's left-handed. Because <laughs> he's left-handed. I love my left-handed hitters, okay? Yeah, and well, he's going to be in Milwaukee where left-handed hitters love to hit. Oh, my gosh. Give, give me all of the shares I, of I already told you. I already told you my uh, – my, my, and I told Henry this last week, too, about my soft story about how I, dep- I, I looked one year in my keeper league. I looked down, and I had, like, four or five left-handed hitters that were all getting neutralized by left-handed pitching. And ever since then, I, uh, I penalized left-handed uh, hitters, except for Christian Yelich, who I always make sure – to uh, draft very highly, but yeah, um, if, if if I have the choice between a left-handed hitter and a right-handed hitter, I'll always go right-handed, just because of that aspect. Especially if there's like no platoons or anything like that. If there's no platoons, then yeah, I'm gonna definitely go with the right-handed hitter who starts every day over the left-handed hitter. That's just me though. But that's why I have him down there because yeah, it, uh, last year he did struggle against lefties. He didn't really face that many though. Um, Tom Murphy, who we talked about in the very first Obscure Lineups podcast, um, he faced predominantly all the lefties, which was a great setup for Seattle. But, of course, now Narvaez has moved on. Um, I believe his backup is Manny Pena, for those that are in daily leagues. Um, I streamed him a little bit last year. Uh, Not terrible, but, once again, not really fantasy relevant. Uh, Narvaez should have the corner – to play every day, which when when it comes to catchers, playing every day is you know half the battle. Probably the most important thing. Yeah, uh, half the battle. I think uh, I remember listening to the CBS uh, Fantasy podcast uh, talking about how in whether it's points or rotisserie, just showing up is half the battle. You know, yeah. the, the the leaders in catcher, whether it be roto or points is always the guys who have the most plate appearances. Yeah, and especially with points with Narvaez, where he has a walk percentage over 11% and a strikeout rate under 20%. Like, that's – I mean, that's really good production out of catcher. He's not I, – I expect more home runs in Milwaukee, uh, so maybe that slugging will come up, but the base ability is definitely there. Move on to first base. This was another obvious one. Uh, Freddie Freeman, I mean – As a uh, Mets fan, I don't want to talk about him. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, there's really nothing to say. It's Freddie Freeman. I mean, he's yeah. – what is he borderline the number one first baseman? I know Pete Alonso uh, has kind of uh, hopscotched him. This I'd feel more comfortable with Freddie Freeman. Yeah. So it just especially, depends. Especially in points. So it just depends how you look at it. It depends how you, what you value. But, yeah, I had Freddie Freeman for a while at number one. And then I think at the last minute I switched them to – I mean, you guys saw my rankings. I think I switched them. I don't even remember. It's been so yeah. long. By, uh, Over the last, oh, it's last Cody Bellinger three years, I'm sorry. he's he's crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was Cody Bellinger, not uh, Freddie Freeman. But either Brandon, way, I wouldn't be shocked if Bellinger loses first base eligibility this year. It looks like he's going to be played predominantly in the outfield. I'm so sure. Freddie Freeman could kind of reclaim that number one first base. I mean, his 
yeah, his slash line over the last three years is silly. Even though it, like, in three years he has 90 home runs, like, even though it feels like he's probably only hit 60. But 303, 392, 543, 141 weighted runs created plus enough said. I mean, there's there's not much to say. <laughs> he's just, like – we talked about how much I liked Anthony Rizzo two weeks ago. Yeah. I like Freddie Freeman just that more. So let's talk about somebody else uh, from these uh, group of players. And I know that's really tiny. I'm about to make it really big. but That's so what she far, said. <laughs> these are the only uh, first basemen that show up on my list for some reason. So there, there must be some new guys that I'm not aware of uh, with the uh, – especially with the, uh, with the Blue Jays. Um, yeah. At the position, I mean, there's Travis Darno who qualifies at first base this year. Justin Smoke, I don't know if he's going to be starting for the Brewers or not, but he's listed as a as a guy. And then, of course, Reese Hoskins, who we'll get to in a little bit. But, yeah, th- this is a kind of a weak class at first base. I think you even mentioned it before we started the show, how weak uh, first base is. Yeah, and I think it's because the Blue Jays have a bit of a black hole there right now. They're not really sure who they're going to run. Uh, if I could pull it up, I could tell you who Roster Resource has there right now. Sure. And it's going to be uh, Travis Shaw, who was just with the Brewers. So the yeah. Brewers and the Blue Jays kind of swapped these left-handed hitting power guys in yeah. Travis Shaw and was it Justin Smoke is the guy? Uh, I think Smoke is a switch hitter. So, oh, Smoke. But he has hit mainly yeah. from the left side. I, I right, right, right. But um, both of those guys are definitely sleepers that, you know, if you punt first base and you want to get a backup option at first base, I wouldn't mind getting either Smoke or Shaw. I mean, Shaw, I when I was looking at the numbers here um, – I definitely wanted to consider him because before 2019, he was coming off back-to-back 30 home run seasons. Hmm. And I feel like a lot of people slept on that. I know this time last year, well, we're already where the season's begun. He was a big bust, but in pre-fantasy season prep, I mean, people were looking at Travis Shaw as like the next big breakout guy. He had finally gotten his strikeout percentage under 20%. He had kind of figured out lefties enough to stay on the field, but he just completely bottomed out. Um, maybe a change of scenery is what's necessary for him, especially if he's kind of uh, – I heard that Vlad, who we'll talk about later, is supposed to be batting cleanup, so maybe that means Shaw's batting third or lower in the lineup. But we'll see. It, it, it is definitely weak, but there are intriguing options at first base. Move on to second base. Uh, we'll talk about Keston Kirora, who I – was loving coming into the season. Unfortunately, I, I targeted him in all my drafts and it just didn't work out. I had other players that I valued a little bit more than I did uh, Keston Hiora coming into this year. And I, I just couldn't pull the trigger on him when the time came. But uh, I have high hopes for him uh, whenever the season starts. I had high hopes for him back in January. I still believe in the kid. I know that I think last time we talked, I know there was like some sort of like strikeouts concern, but I mean, he's what, 23, 24 years old at this point. Yeah. Just coming into his own. What do you need? What do you have to add about him? So Keston here, I remember kind of jumping out at everyone uh, this time last year. He got off to a really hot start in the PCL. Granted, the park he was playing at for his home was in San Antonio. So while still hitter friendly, not as hitter friendly as some other PCL parks. Um, and a lot of 
brewers and prospect people saying, hey, the brewers are probably going to be calling this kid up with how well he's hitting. He's had a swing adjustment. He's trying to lift the ball more. And there were definite results to it, both good and bad. Uh, He went from a guy who was around the 20% strikeout rate in the minors to the mid to high 20s. And usually that's a bad thing. But with Hura, he still kept the same bat-to-ball ability and the barreling ability that everybody else – or that he still had before. So while he did have a strikeout problem, he struck out 30% of the time his rookie season – I actually comped it to uh, Chris Bryant's rookie year, and they both had strikeout percentages over 30%. Both had uh, OPSs over 850. I was shocked at how good Hero was. I did not expect him. Like, I, I remember he came up and then got demoted and then came back up again. He hit 19 home runs and stole nine bags in 80 games. So you extrapolate that out. That's almost 40 home runs and 20 stolen bases. Uh, the, the home runs, I buy way more than the stolen bases. If you check out his baseball savant page, the speed is a little fluky. He's more like league average. But when you combine his PCL numbers, his AAA, and his major league numbers last year, he had batted 313 with an on base of 381. And here's where it gets silly 38 home runs, 16 stolen bases, 95 RBIs, and 95 runs. And while he does have swing and miss, like with since the swing, uh, the swing change, he struggled with a lot of breaking and off-speed stuff. When I look at his minors numbers compared to someone like Fernando Tatis, this is a guy who's consistently had very high batting averages and very high BABIPs, and that reflects in his hard hit percentage and his exit velocity numbers. So unlike Fernando Tatis, who I'm not touching at his current ADP, I actually feel comfortable going after Keston Hira, who, like you said, you missed out on him in your drafts because he had a lot of helium. But I feel comfortable picking Keston Hira. Uh, Matt Bushnell, uh, on the comments section, uh, the uh, host of the uh, Football Life, uh, I think it's still called the Deep, the Deep Thirds uh, Football Podcast, Friday nights on the Life Group Networks here. We're, we're going to be a TV station soon. Did you know that, Sean? <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. At this rate, yeah, sure. We have enough channels, so. Right. But he does have a really good question, and it's something that I, I feel like you and I talk about all the time. In today's game, what is a good walk to strikeout? Uh, yeah, I guess it'd be a ratio walk to strikeout ratio for a power hitter. And I mean, for me, it, it should still be, you know, business as usual. I mean, the higher the walk to strikeout ratio, the better it is. But we are noticing that there's success. I mean, we talk we talk about this all the time, but there is success with uh, those free swinging, impatient hitters. Uh, and they are able to uh, post similar uh, numbers as well. Um, they're not very, you know, they're not the most reliable, but they get the job done anyway. Uh, but in your estimation, what would be, I mean, does, I guess the real question is, does walk to strikeout ratio matter still? I believe it does. But when you're looking at individual instead of a ratio, um, if I'm looking at a guy who strikes out 25% plus of the time, but doesn't walk at least 10%, I'm definitely worried. But then I take somebody like Kevin Biggio, who's on my team, or Brandon Nimmo, and both guys strike out over 25% of the time, but they have walk percentages of over 15%. Right. And I think there, and of course it's, you know, the more they work deep counts, the more likely they are to walk and strike out. It's, it's definitely a balance 
you don't want somebody that's striking out 30% of the time and, and barely walking. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, Chris Bryant, I, I have his rookie season pulled up, struck out 30.6% of the time, nearly identical to Hira's 307 but he still walked almost 12% of the time compared to Hira's seven. Granted, at the same time, I don't see Hira as a 30% strikeout guy with his bat-to-ball ability, even with kind of the swing and miss. He just finds a way to barrel up the ball so much. I think he's going to be more like a 25 to 26 guy, which is still high, but for someone that consistently puts up high BABIPs and high batting averages, I, I can't really you know, be worried about it too much. Yeah, it just it, it goes back to uh, what the, I think it was the Ben Lindbergh book, right? It, the only thing that matters is that it works or something to that effect. Yeah, <laughs> it's all that really matters is. I mean, we talk about this ad nauseum sometimes. It seems to be like that's the main thing on our shows is that we always go back to plate discipline. Like we talk about Tim Anderson, uh, Henry, and I did last week, and the main thing was, hey, as long as he has that bat speed and is able to make enough contact and can generate from that contact high levels of uh, batting average on balls in play. shouldn't matter that he's impatient and he only walks like 3% of the time and strikes out, what, 21 22% of yeah. the time. It's just, what does he do with that contact? He's fast enough to get on base with ground balls. Uh, Hits enough line drives. Yeah. 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 And all he needs is for, that, for those balls to just kind of bloop into, the, uh, into no man's land out in the outfield, and he could be productive. Um, yeah, for sure. Consistent? I don't know. He, hit, I mean, last year was his big career year, as Henry and I talked about last week. So if that remains to be seen, but it, sh- it should not affect his uh, ability to produce, uh, at least not the way we used to think about it. It seems like, again, just to beat a dead horse, it seems like teams are now okay with these free-swinging uh, players. As long as you produce. <laughs> as long as you produce, right. All right, let's move on to shortstop and this guy. I, you know, I liked him last year. I like him again this year. I always targeted him, but I just couldn't get him. As uh, like you mentioned before, the helium was too high on him. But Bo Bichette, uh, real power speed combo. Uh, I honestly love this kid. I think he's going to be really awesome when it's all said and done. Um, but do you like uh, him as a shortstop uh, coming into the 2020 season as a starting shortstop there? Yeah, I was worried about Bichette heading into the 2019 season. I thought there was a little bit maybe too much, you know, helium with him, despite his pretty good minors numbers. I I'd watched some video on him and was a little skeptical, but he came up and actually absolutely stole the show. And when we just finished talking about Keston Hero, uh, Bo Bichette's a very good comp. All of their slash line numbers were within 10 points. Uh, Bichette only batted eight points higher, had an on base 10 points lower, and they had a nearly identical slugging at 570 and 571. The main difference here was Bichette didn't barrel up the ball as much as Hira, but he also didn't whiff as much. So he kind of put the ball in play a little bit more at the expense of, you know, exit velocity and barreling it. Uh, I still think he's going to be a good guy. I'm not sure about the stolen bases. He showed really good stolen base potential in 2018 in which he was 32 for 43. Uh, but in 2019 combined, he stole 20 bases but was caught nine or ten times, I believe. So I'm not really sure how much of a stolen base green light he's going to get, much like Hura, who doesn't really have great speed and never showed great efficiency stealing bases. 
I look more at these guys for batting average and plus power than I do their stolen base potential. Yeah, and uh, interestingly enough, I'm looking at the shortstop list, and it looks like uh, Dansby Swanson was the faster of the two between him and Bo Bichette. Uh, and Dansby Swanson is a guy that we did not add to our team, and that was that, that was a guy who was a uh, uber prospect when he was coming up, and yep. he's kind of he's kind of uh, had people solid player, him. but kind of you know <clears throat> he he keeps wishing washing. He has a couple of injuries to deal with, and it seems like every time he's reaching his peak, he gets injured, and then he comes back and he builds up, builds up, gets injured again. Yeah. But uh, I mean, if Dansby's your starting shortstop in fantasy. I mean, that's not a terrible thing. You definitely could have done better, but he, I mean, he's going to be a solid, probably a 15-15 guy if he gets a full season in. Yeah, whereas Bichette, I, I, all I see in him is like 20-20, 25-25 potential. I honestly do. I think the world of him. I think he's uh, – I mean, he had 11 home runs in 46 games. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling I know like that, I'm, That's wild. I, know. I think that Blue Jays team is about to start launching some home runs. Like how we're seeing the Minnesota Twins right now – I think that's going to be the Blue Jays in about two or three years. Yeah, yeah. Right now, it's uh, it's not looking too well for them. I mean, I, I talked about Bichette and Biggio and Guerrero, and that's pretty much it for the Blue Jays. Everything else just kind of sucks. Uh, and then we're just kind of waiting on Nate Pearson. But, yeah, as long as they have that trio. Uh, even, even Biggio is kind of uh, – to me, he's kind of a question mark. But as long as Bichette and Guerrero are there, I mean, that team should be good to go. Uh, and Bichette's only 22 years old coming into this year. Uh, as of, uh, you know, I, I usually do mine for July 1st. So anytime, uh, if you hit that uh, deadline before July 1st, you should. That's your age. You know, anything after that, I add a year to your age. So or, we got uh, a, a quick question from Bushnell here. He okay. said, "Should he even consider Gene Segura?" Oh, what compared to? I mean, he, if you plan right on playing here. him at second base, maybe. I mean, yeah, he seems he qualifies. Like, yeah, I mean, I have yeah, it up. He, but, I mean, he still does. He, but he this year, I think he's slated to play third base. Uh, that Phillies infield is going to be really weird this year. They're going to move a lot of guys around. I mean, it's between it, him, Kingery, and Gregorius. As far as sprint speed goes, he's not even faster than Didi Gregorius at this point. Uh, his. Uh, Sprint speed for last yeah, year. Yeah, he he he's definitely lost a step, you know, in terms of base running. But he still batted two eighty last year. He's never been a high on base guy. Um, yeah, and that's the problem. I mean, you're really. Ca- I mean, I know people love Gene Segura for many many reasons, but I think last year or two years ago was the last time. I know I, I mentioned it in one of these podcasts before, either last year or two years ago, where this is the last time I'm ever going to draft Gene Segura because it's all downhill from here, and this is exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah, uh, I, I, he's not a 2020 guy anymore. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't watch – You're lucky if he's a 10-10. Last year he was a 12-home run, 10-stolen base, 280 average. Um, I mean, if you need a middle infielder, I guess maybe, and you don't want to – and you're in an average roto league and you don't want to sink average, I guess he's a good pick. I disagree. But, I, um, I stay away from him as far as I can. And 2020, the only time he's going to watch 2020 coming from him is when he's – watching from home on Friday nights. <laughs> is that show still on 2020 with Hugh Downs and Baba Walters? No, Hugh Downs oh. is dead, I think. Oh, God. This got dark real fast. <laughs> I was just stating fact. I think he's dead already. But that's the only way. That's the only way Gene Segura is ever going to get to 2020 again. I don't trust them. I don't – and especially with the Phillies. I don't know what they're doing anymore. I mean, how does – I mean, I know with Gabe Kapler, they weren't stealing bases. Is Giorgio already a guy that is willing to make that those risks? I don't know. Is he? I don't remember. Yeah. I, 
I just don't see him stealing as much as his sprint speed has just kind of consistently gone down year to year. He's a guy who in a points league, I might be more likely to add him because he he's never struck out a whole lot, but at the same time, he doesn't walk. So yeah, he hits 280 plus. That's it. I mean, I, I, that's just not, not, this is not a, like a, uh, what do you call it? A skill that I go out and look for yeah. in any fantasy format, let alone a points league or even a rota league. Like I only get batting average and that's it. In a 12-team league, he's probably too far down to consider. But if you're looking at NL only or a, a deeper, bigger than 12-man league, uh, you probably have a player there. What about in your 30-team league? Would, would he be good there? Oh, he's, he's a stud in my 30-team <laughs> league. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you could probably trade uh, him to get, like, Mike Trout or something like that. <laughs> Next up, we talked about Bichetti. Now we're going to talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the son of uh, Hall of Fame player Vladimir Guerrero. Um, we saw him in the home run derby. That's real power right there, even though it's a home run derby. That's what people see him being capable of. So I look forward to when everything – the only problem with him is when I look at him, I look at this guy has gonna, this guy's going to have future weight problems. But until then, until those weight problems get too much – uh, just enjoy him. Just enjoy the the power. Enjoy the, the yeah. In prowess. spring, he had looked a little slimmed down, but he kind of suffers from a lot of the same things his dad had. He swung at everything. Um, a lot of the stuff that we glossed over in his meteoric rise through the minors was like his high ground ball percentage. He had it was close to fifty percent in the minors, but it was just everything that he got in the air in the minors was a home run or you know hit a million miles an hour. But when you're facing major league pitching, it's a little tougher to do that. And I do feel like, you know, compared to the rookies, uh, Hira, Bichette, guys like that, was when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. came up, he was immediately respected by major league pitchers. They they saw what he did in the minors, and they pitched him accordingly. Other, other minor leaguers, you know, they're going to throw you the fastball until you hit it, and then they're going to start adjusting to you. Vladimir Guerrero just seemed like they came out throwing their entire arsenal because they know what he's capable of. Um, While you talked about the untapped power potential that we saw in the home run derby, it is legit. He struck out less than 20% of the time, which tells me it's not really a swing and miss issue as much as it is a angle of attack, you know, getting the ball at the right spot in the right part of the zone and lifting it and doing damage with it. He more than held his own, and compared to last year, last year I wasn't going to touch him just because, you know, some drafts he was going top 100, top 50. This year, he's an actual bargain that I would be willing to draft. I, I In all the drafts that I was doing, I, th- I thought he was still uh, going early, but compared to last year, of course, yeah. Uh, anything compared to last year is going to look like a bargain this year. So, But, I mean – He's only 21 years old. If you're yeah. in a keeper league or in a dynasty league, you, it's almost mandatory that you need to draft this kid if, you, if, if possible. I know there's a little concern for what he did last year, but, guys, he was only 20 years old last year. Yeah. And, and he still kind of held his own. He was brought up so quickly um, when kids his age are just trying to figure out how to survive in Major League Baseball. He, I mean, he went to the home run derby and put on a show as a, as a 20-year-old. Come on. Yeah, and the only thing I really would be worried about him is 
his exit velocity numbers in terms of batted ball data, uh, they weren't great. And I'm not sure if that was, you know, swinging at bad pitches and just still making contact, you know, like his old man did. Um, But we we know the power is there. He just needs to get better at selecting his pitch. If he starts doing damages on the pitches he's looking for, rather than trying to do damage on every pitch, uh, you could see a real explosion from Vlad. And, and it goes back to, like, intangibles, like that scouty stuff that people like to brag about, like, oh, man, uh, you know, like, you know that movie, like, the Trouble with the Curve, with yeah. Clint Eastwood can hear curveballs and whatever crap? <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll cite that with Vladimir Guerrero. There was, like, videos of him just doing batting practice and just nonchalantly hitting the – smoking the freaking ball uh, out of the ball. The noise off his bat is different. Is, does it's that like, piss you off enough? <laughs> it's like a howitzer. It's a howitzer. It's a freaking cannon that's coming out of I went of back and I watched that home run derby the other night, and yeah. it was just so entertaining. I remember watching it live and <laughs> seeing him and Jock Peterson, who I thought was even more entertaining because he had to go and catch Vlad every time. Yeah. And I thought what he did was near impossible. But uh, that, that was sure surely fun and indicative of the power. Uh, Alonzo. Alonzo oh, beat Vlad right. yeah, in the yeah. finals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how Guerrero was just. The oh, he was wiped. I mean, he had like 40 home runs in that round between, it was like 40 to 39 between him and uh, Jock Peterson. Well, I just wanted to point out that he, he was such a star of the show that we, we forget that Pete Alonso was in that and that he oh, actually won. I, I, I didn't forget. Well, you're a I'm Mets a Mets fan. fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you can tell, I, I have bias for Guerrero. I know. Like, the only thing that worries me is his weight problems, but um, hopefully he can get that under control. He uh, is your champ, Leon. Get over it. <laughs> Leon's down in the comments saying, not my champ. <laughs> <laughs> has Harper, uh, since Leon's in here, has Harper been in a home run derby yeah, yet? Yeah, he won it. He won it he, in Washington. He did win it? Was over, it in Washington? Okay. Yeah, I over, remember him winning one, but I couldn't remember if it was like oh, hit was, earlier, earlier on. That was the Kyle Schwarber one. He uh, defeated Kyle Schwarber in, in very controversial form as uh, he did not wait for the ball to land first, but Oh, that, that rule went completely out the window. When I was watching this past one, oh, God. That, and it was funny because even the announcers acknowledged it and said, yeah, we don't care. We're here to see them hit, not see balls land. <laughs> uh, let's face it, man. It, 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 this is around the time where – I mean, you, you have it on your background. This is the time where baseball just has to go full on WWE. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's rules, but we're not going to acknowledge it. You know, we're just going to go ahead. And, <laughs> They're just there for fun. <laughs> we're just going to make sure these guys are over. Everybody's selling. And that everybody, the display of power and brute strength is, is on full display. And uh, that's all that matters. A gladiatorial display of strength. It really is like wrestling. Co- competition takes a backseat to showmanship in these events. Which, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's a great. I mean, the competitor in me wants to see, like, a legit sporting event. But, I mean, Bryce Harper winning in D.C. was a great moment. I mean, anyway, I, I could talk about Harper. Oh, let's talk about <laughs> Harper right now. In D.C., during that home run derby. All right, let me tell you about Harper. This guy, wherever there was a camera, he went full Hulk Hogan on it and just acknowledged it. <laughs> I mean, he was such a natural. Like, this is the – and I, I remember, like, uh, I think it was on in this group. I think we had that group already up and running. I remember being on that thread and just saying, though, Major League Baseball is getting a good close-up of what they, what they should be doing with this guy to really catapult their brand into, like, the atmosphere, into another galaxy. This guy's a superstar. Now, unfortunately, you know, sometimes he doesn't post the big gaudy numbers 
that people look from their superstars. But for that one night, I mean, he he had everything. The charisma was showing everything you want from their face of Major League Baseball. And I even said it. That's their face of Major League Baseball right there. Who's this Mike Trout guy? Nobody knows who he is. Is he a fish? Is he a salmon? That's Tim Salmon. No, not, no disrespect to Mike Trout, but Bryce Harper is everything that you – that market marketers – Yeah, he, he's a marketable of. player. Yeah. It's like Christian Yelich has has said that he wants to be that kind of guy. But to me, Yelich, who another guy who's on our list, is – but he's not Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper has that kind of the, – the X factor. And this is totally not fantasy relevant, and I apologize. But Bryce Harper is a guy that you can't take your eyes off of when he's playing. Whether he's hitting a monster grand slam to win the game or he's getting choked out by Jonathan Papelbon, you can't help but look. <laughs> uh, he, he's a lightning rod. And I, God bless Christian Yelich for wanting to be that guy. But, I mean, it's the personalities are, are not even close. Bryce Harper is another – in terms of just personalities and all that other intangible stuff, as uh, Leon keeps mentioning, like comic book stuff, I'll, I'll read to you what Leon is saying. Uh, Harper is just born to play the villain. Trout is Batman. Harper is Joker. I think that's another reason why we like Harper as a personality is because in the Dark Knight... He has he, one. He has yeah, one. And, and not only that, but Heath Ledger stole the show in the Dark Knight just like Harper steals the show on the show, right? I mean, Trout is that consistent uh, guy that he's, he's dependable. He's always going to be there for you, but he's too safe. You know what? You know what? who Mike Trout is? He's the, he's the guy that your girlfriend... I thought he was gets, Tim Salmon. I was going to say that Mike <laughs> Trout is the, is the guy that your girlfriend gets uh, tired of and goes after Mike, uh, Bryce Harper. <laughs> I can see that, you know, no hair to luscious locks, for sure, definitely. And you see, this is something I don't understand. And maybe it... I think it has actually... I'm not going to say maybe. It has everything to do with the giant contract he just signed. Yeah. But in 2019 was just about in every sort of fantasy-relevant way, better than 2018. He hit more home runs. He had more RBIs. He had more stolen bases. He had a higher batting average, higher slugging. And yet people still somehow said, oh, this was a disappointment. This isn't what we wanted. I mean, is it what he did in 2015 or 2017? No. Is it still first, second round I mean, I would probably take Harper in the late second round. I think he's that good of a player. I don't know why people sleep on him. Or Do I expect him? him? Yeah. Well, I guess we we know why. Like even as even him. as a Mets fan, I I, I don't hate him. I, yeah. I I always respected him. He played the game hard. He played it emotionally. Some people always get you know their feathers ruffled over when a player plays emotionally. John Neese was the same way for the Mets. He used to always lose his mind on the mound and. People were like, oh, he can't get out of his own head. It's like, no, these guys want to play at their peak ability, and when they feel like they're not reaching it, they get mad at themselves. Harper's the same way, except Harper, I mean, if I, he's probably lost ADP value from last year, yeah. or from 18 to 19, and I don't see why. I don't see it at all. I, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, my God. Matt Bushnell just said I'm Mike Trout. <laughs> Mike, I just saw it. <laughs> that, for those uh, who will not be uh, on the Facebook Live here, my, he, Matt Bushnell of the football podcast. And by the way, Leon is on the basketball podcast, the Step Back uh, podcast on Saturdays. I, I, I always forget that they're weekly or uh, semi-weekly. They're weekly. Weekly on Saturdays. Okay. Well, he can correct me if, I, if I'm wrong. I could have sworn that they skipped Saturdays. But anyway, yeah, Mike Trout is Ric Flair. Again, you need to have a personality to be compared to Ric Flair. If anything, 
Bryce Harper is Ric Flair. Yeah, I see Bryce Harper as Ric Flair, honestly. Yeah. I mean, Mike Trout is uh, – I, I, he's – I don't know. I don't want to mention anything because I'll, I'll get mad if we start talking about wrestling. If I <laughs> no, we did that two weeks ago. Yeah. So are the two Cena, positions, the, the or I guess we saw two. Uh, anything you want to say about Yelich? Uh, I mean, he's on my. I I, I love Kristen Yelich. I'm a big fan of Kristen Yelich. He's probably my favorite player right now, and it's all for the simple fact that he was in my keeper league way back in 2012, 2013 as my minor leaguer, and I stuck it through. And I knew that one day that all he needed was just a little bit of time, a little bit of seasoning, maybe a better situation than Miami. He goes to Milwaukee in that, in that home run dome that they like to play in, and he's become an MVP candidate every season, and I reap the benefits from it. So, In I, a non-keeper regular, if you're just drafting this year, you had the possibility to get Yelich or Acuna. Who are you picking? I'm picking Acuna. Oh, yeah. I okay. Mean, uh, that yeah. that was shocking to me. I mean, I, I'm still kind of wary of uh, Yelich's. Uh, what was it? That he had the broken the kneecap? the dislocated or the broken kneecap or something like that. Yeah, and that was. I mean, for all intents and purposes, reports show that he was ready to go. But I'm sorry if I'm starting from scratch, and you're giving me Acuna or Yelich. I'm picking Acuna. He's younger, healthier, uh, more explosive. As hard as that is to believe that someone can be more explosive than Christian Yelich. Um, Acuna might be that guy. Uh, although, yeah, Kristen Yelich is, uh, is a pretty damn good player in his own right. I mean, I they only had a difference in stolen bases of seven. Like, everyone talked about Acuna's 40-40 run, and I totally slept on the fact that Yelich had 30 stolen bases last year. Yeah, uh, but to me, it's, uh, you know, Acuna, Yelich. And for those who can't see me, Acuna's okay. arrow's pointing up, Yelich is pointing down, especially after that kneecap. I'm not trusting him to steal yeah. any more pieces and like that. I get that. I, I just – I feel like Acuna, Acuna is going to bottom out or anything like that. But I feel like Yelich's floor is just so high that it's almost impossible not to pick him. Even, like, the knee thing does worry me, but especially with all the time off we've had due to the, the pandemic and everything, yeah. it's even more time to heal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just still stuck in that. And he's still only 28. He's still only 28. Oh, well, you know, 28 is like the new 30 nowadays. 28 you know the new 35. <laughs> you know how that goes. Come on. I mean, Acuna was like 24, 25. Not yeah, even, not 25. even probably. <laughs> All right. uh, corner infield, Reese Hoskins. Uh, this is like the, the most boring. Uh, oh, before we go on, Leon snuck in a question before we move on to corner infield. Uh, how long does Acuna hit leadoff? Uh, Brian Snicker, last time I saw, said he has no plans to move him. Okunia has performed best in the leadoff hole. He said, I mean, it's like the same thing. Uh, the Mets had the issue of Curtis Granderson was their leadoff hitter, but he was also their best home run hitter, which Acuna is their, the Braves' best home run hitter, but they performed best batting leadoff. And so it's kind of, you know, a rock and a hard place. Uh from what I've heard, Acuna is going to bat leadoff. Uh, he's going to be able. He's going to be allowed to steal bases. Um, if you're not in the top three in the Braves lineup, you're not stealing bases. They they played with Acuna being uh, the cleanup hitter and quickly did did away with it. So right now, Ronald Acuna is their leadoff hitter. Why would you give up plate appearances for Acuna when you when he can get all the plate appearances at the leadoff spot? I mean, I, I don't necessarily hate on it because if you put yeah. say Freddie Freeman and Ozzy Albies in front of him, it kind of makes sense. But yeah, definitely I, I would bat him first or second. 
All right, let's, but let's, he's, he's done much better first. So let's quickly move on to the corner infield. Reese Hoskins. I, I was going to mention that that has to, got to be the dullest pick at, at corner infield that we've done in, the, in this ex, in these exercises. Uh, he's such a boring player to me. Solid power, don't get me wrong, but everything else, it's just like, man, there's really not much else to this guy except for that aspect of his game. Um, is there any salvageable thing about Reese Hoskins for this upcoming season? Reese, like you said, it was the most boring. And not to give anything away for next week, but we were supposed to have the St. Louis Cardinals in this week's edition. I'm not sure if Felipe wanted me to tell you tell you guys that. No. But we were supposed to have them in which case Paul Goldschmidt probably would have occupied this spot. But Hoskins, it seems uh, last year he was stuck in left field where he was never comfortable, and I don't care what you say, players aren't comfortable fielding. They take it with them into the box. This year, he just has a skill set that, much like Bryant, you know, they're trying to hit a fly ball every single time. And Reese Hoskins isn't somebody that hits the ball hard really to begin with, which is ironic because he's, you know, a big like linebacker. He's 6'4", 230. Yeah. But he does such a good job of lifting the ball. But at the same time, if you're lifting the ball and not hitting it hard, one, you're going to have an extremely low BABIP and not hit for a high batting average, which happened to Hoskins this year. And over the last three years, he's only batting 239, but he has a 364 on base, which is nearly identical to Acuna's if you're in an on-base league. Take that information for what you will. Uh, He led the National League in walks in 2019, but he's just one of those guys you just have to accept for his flaws. He has raw power, but he's a flawed hitter. Tie into the episode name right there. He's probably the quintessential raw and flawed guy. Um, but he, he's a big power guy, walks a lot, is going to be batting in and around Bryce Harper. So there's definitely potential there. It's just you have to know he's going to tank your batting average. He's going to be a 230, maybe 250 hitter. Uh, there was talk of a batting stance adjustment um, in spring training. It hadn't – he was working on it during spring training, should I say. Um, looked a lot like – Edwin Encarnacion's swing. Like, he, 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 no, he, he dropped his hands. Like, okay. And it looked a lot like Encarnacion. And so maybe if that's something that he can do to stay more level, if he turns into Encarnacion, that could be a bit of a weapon. But other than that, it's <laughs> – I like Bushnell's comment. He would yeah. be a, a version of Brandon Belt. I want to ask you that. Would he be uh, – I mean, because Brandon Belt is a – wonderful hitter that he's stuck in a, in a really bad ball a terrible park for him just it just sucks for him because he is like brandon bell if i may just speak on this for a little bit brandon bell is one of those guys who can adjust to any pitching uh he can uh, he could be a power hitter he could be an average hitter he could he's just he's just he was born to hit i feel right? like he could be christian yelich light if he was in a better park if he was and like extremely park. light extremely light but he he's this, that same kind of hitter like, I can only imagine what his career would have been like had he not been stuck in San Francisco. I mean, listen, he, he's won those championships, right? Yeah. I think, yeah. So it, I don't think he would trade that, but I think we would be talking about a guy who hits for a high batting average and is able to hit 30 home runs and drive in like at least 80 runs every year. Um, but would he still be? I mean, would Hoskins be worse than Brandon Bell has shown in San Francisco? If Hoskins – you see, this is the whole thing. Is San Francisco is a terrible park for lefties, 
But if you're a righty, it's not much different. So I feel like if Hoskins was in San Francisco and Belt was in Philly, it would be a plus for both. Yeah, right. That being said, well, random sidetrack, I'm sorry. I hope this is an interesting story. But Brandon Belt, um, when I was working for the Biscuits last season, yeah. Brandon Belt, I was having a talk about uh, Pavin Smith, Pavin Smith for the Arizona Diamondbacks first base prospect. Reminds me a lot of Freddie Freeman and Brandon Belt. Really good plate discipline, more of a contact over power guy. I've never looked at Brandon Belt as a power hitter. Like, am I alone in that? I'm not no, sure. No, he could be. He's in the wrong ballpark, though. But he has shown that he could hit for power. Um, but it messes up his batting average. So, he just – Apparently, in college, he, he was more of a power hitter at Vanderbilt. I think he was at Vanderbilt. Uh, he's but in the wrong ballpark. I'm sorry. I, the, the scout that gave me the drop on the Zach Gallen jazz Chisholm trade, he had been an advanced scout before he went to Miami for San Francisco. And this was the same guy I was talking about Pavin Smith to. And I was like, yeah, he kind of reminds me about Pay- or he reminds me of Brandon Belt because he doesn't have much power. And this guy gave me the craziest look. He said, you think Brandon Belt doesn't have power? And I was like, he's never really hit for much. And we had a, he made me feel really, really dumb. Oh, sure. And so, so from his point of view, I, I guess Belt does have more power than advertised. But uh, no, I, I'm in that he made camp me look too. silly. I'm in that camp too, for the record. He's in the wrong ballpark. He's on the wrong team. Um, he has to settle for gap power as opposed to home run power, unfortunately, and more singles. And it just sucks because it has to mess with your head too, as a oh, as a hitter too. No, it does. And and, uh, and like I said, it's it's criminal what what's happening to that poor guy. And uh, but at any rate, uh, you uh, he has those uh, those championships with San Francisco, so we can't feel he'll retire happy. Too sorry for him, right? Uh, let's move on to uh, – where were we? Middle infield now? Yes. Ozzy Albies. This is, this is where we differ. I have Ozzy Albies. You have Kavan Vigio. I already mentioned that. I don't think Vigio is anything special. Uh, it, he's a good uh, complimentary piece, but I don't think I want him um, as a centerpiece of any franchise that I own or even a fantasy middle infielder. Ozzy Albies has a little bit more upside in my book, but I know why you like Kevin Vigio. Why don't you tell the kids out there why you like Kevin Vigio so much? Hey, guys, remember that Hill I was ready to die on with Brandon Nemo? Oh, God. Well, we're on it again. I am on this Kevin Vigio train till the end. A uh, quick trivia question for you, Felipe. Sure. Of all the players that had at least 250 plate appearances in 2019, there was only one player who had a higher chase rate than uh, Kevin Biggio. Who was it? Uh, I should know this. Oh, oh, you, you definitely don't know it. That's the best part. <laughs> oh, so it's like a very obscure player. I mean, I mean he, he's been – he he's a professional hitter. Always <laughs> been a solid on-base guy. And when I say solid on-base guy, I'm trying to hint to you that it's a team that values on-base. Oh, God. Um I feel like I should know this. And I feel like as soon as you tell me the name, I'm going to be Andrew really McCutcheon was third. Kevin Biggio was second. He had a chase rate of 13.2%. As Joey, a rookie, that's insane. Is that Joey Votto? No, Joey Votto is not even in the top five this year. Oh, that's Number one was Logan Forsyth. Oh, of course he was. Platoon infielder, always walked. Where yeah, is but he, he now? He's in Philly. Or he was with Philly in 2019. I'm not sure if he's still there. I, 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 Bushnell said Tim Anderson. <laughs> no, Tim Tim Anderson probably had the highest chase rate. Yeah, him and Javier Baez, I'm pretty sure. 
right here. Let me see if I can find this. That's the... But no, I don't have Albies for two reasons. Yeah. One, he has a, or actually three. He has a lot of helium this year. It seems like everyone is ranking him as like a, a top three second baseman. But second, he's terrible against right-handed pitching. He crushes lefties, but is actually below league average against right-handed pitching, which is the majority of the league. Three, I keep thinking of 2018 second half. Yeah, me too. When he, when he was one of the worst hitters in Major League Baseball. And I know uh, I had a Braves fan. I was talking to a Braves fan that I actually kind of respect about uh, talking Braves players because it's usually hard to talk to them about their own players. They get very upset easily. Was it Pedro? Uh, no, it was not Pedro. Oh, okay. And he's like, oh, it was his first full season. You know, he got tired. But he went from – it's like he doesn't walk a lot. He hit he, – I just don't know what it is. I don't trust Ozzy Albies. It's not completely rational, but I do have at least something to back it up. Because in the second half of 2018 – he was a 226, 282, 342 for a slugging of six, or for an OPS of 624 and a an weighted runs created plus of 68. He was a bottom 10 hitter during that second half of 2018. And it's why I avoided him in 2019. He had a great year, but I'm definitely not paying a premium for a guy that can't hit right handed pitching. I just can't do it. Yeah. And I, I had him uh, in our league in the baseball life league. Uh, and that was one of the worst moments of my life was I had this uh, hot shot rookie and he just fell apart in the second half. Like I, every, like I just couldn't start him anymore because he was such in a deep slump. I've never seen anything like it, but Hey, it's those rookie walls. We always talk about, right? Like, you know, they, they go into these massive slumps. That's why it's kind of dangerous to, to be trusting on rookies or any uh, raw player like that, young player like that. But look at his age. He's only 23 years old. Uh, I, I yeah. want to believe that uh, – I want to believe that he's over that and that he can live up to the expectations we all have about him. Uh, he only has a 33.5% hard hit rate last year, which is kind of concerning. But, I mean, the guy is very explosive. And look at the number of bolts that he has. He runs at full power. He runs at full speed. Oh, yeah. He, he, he tries. He, he's an athletic guy. He, yeah. He's everything you want out of a second baseman. Yeah. And to his defense, I'll say in 2019, he actually performed better in the second half than he did the first half. But to me, the big issue is against lefties, he was a 180 Weighted runs created plus. One of the best lefty hitters in all of baseball. He batted 389 against him. Only walk, walked less than 5% of the time, but just absolutely crushed him. Against righties, 98 weighted runs created plus, so beneath league average, and had a slash line of 267, 334, 444, which is a 778 OPS. That yeah. just doesn't scream sustainable because i mean you can hit lefties all day long i just i don't see it there has to be something said about like untapped potential and he's only 23 years old yeah and that's he has what pedigree. I, it's not like that's, this is that's what they give me is he's so young he's gonna get better he's gonna get better i, I just don't know I, he could thing, be he could be jose reyes for all i know that doesn't steal bases but hey, i'm just not sure <laughs> that's uh that's 
I think most players, uh, middle infielders, would take a Jose Reyes kind of career. Well, sans the woman beating, of course. But <laughs> I'll tell you what. The one thing that Alves also has in his favor is that he does have pedigree. He's no slouch. He yeah. did come up as a, a very high-end prospect. You know who didn't come up as a high-end prospect? Kayvon Vigio. But <laughs> he, he broke out. And I'm telling you, I will take, Biz- I will take plate discipline over everything else. I will take it until I die. <laughs> I don't know. I see Biggio as a uh, super utility guy when it's all said and done. As soon as the Blue Jays find a better second baseman, uh, uh, Biggio will see more pine. He was actually uh, – I, ha- I, I just had it pulled up. Albies, you know, I, did he win the gold – no, Colton Wong won the gold glove this year. Yeah. But uh, Albies was, like, really close in the race. And when you look at baseball savant's new outs above average infield metric, mm-hmm. Albies actually rated quite poorly which is kind of shocking because his defensive run saved was very high. Well, Kevin Biggio, who also played second base, was towards the top in the league in uh, outs above average for baseball savant. So slightly interesting topic there. But Biggio, like you said, does have the ability to play all over the infield. Right now he is penciled in at second base, though. The other thing against uh, Biggio, another strike against Biggio, which he rarely sees apparently, strikes. (laughs) If he does have a strike against me, it's that he's left-handed. So... Hey, <laughs> you, you avoid the lefties and I take them. <laughs> yeah. A uh, couple of comments here. Uh, oh, uh, Bushnell wants to remind us that Glabar Torres is only 22 years old. <laughs> hey, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, what's his name? Buck. Joe Buck. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Bushnell also wants to point out that this is why he took that cheap deal, which I always thought that's the same reason because his 2018 was so bad that he wanted to make sure he got that uh, security money. Yeah. Uh, Leon, uh, basketball related, he, he – Likens it to the Scotty, the Scotty Pippen deal from 91, which uh, I have so He's many. He's not wrong. <laughs> I have so many thoughts, and this is the wrong platform to have, but I have so many thoughts on that on that uh, Pollyanna documentary they showed on ESPN on Sunday. Oh, my God. Could it be? I mean, with Albies, I, I hate to interrupt, but with Albies, like you said, we talk about his age. That's a, a great deal for him because he still becomes a free agent at like 28, 29. That's a great deal. That sets you up for a second high contract. Granted, as a middle infield, a smaller-bodied middle infielder, he might not get one, but I still think that's a great deal. And that's the other thing I, I don't like about Albies, uh, if I may, is that uh, he is kind of on the small side. I mean, we've seen small five eight one sixty five according to Fangraphs. We've seen small guys succeed in this league. I mean, that's not the issue, but they also. I mean, it's a, it's a big. It's professional sports. Big men are always going to conquer no matter what. Uh, we did see some exceptions to the rule in Jose Altuve. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, uh, Bushnell wants to know about Luis Urias, who a uh, highly regarded prospect out of San Diego. Um, is coming. He had a wrist surgery. He should be fully healed by the time the season starts eventually, hopefully. 23 years was old. It wrist or, was it wrist or hand eight? I put down wrist. It was one of the two. Close enough. It's a hand. I mean, he's never, he's not a huge power hitter anyway, so a hand yeah. surgery really shouldn't bother him. Yeah. Oh, Urias so. is one of those guys. I love his minor league numbers. High batting average, yeah. doesn't strike out. But every single chance he's gotten in the major leagues, mm-hmm. he's been terrible. And I talked to a Milwaukee scout, I believe it was. It was like right around the same time of the trade when I was working for the biscuits and he's like, maybe I think this guy just needs a fresh start. He needs a fresh start with no expectations. He had really high expectations in San Diego while at the same time trying to stave off the 
meteoric rise of Tatis. So I don't know. I like his skill set. It just hasn't translated at all. That, that, you're right about that. First of all, bad ballpark in San Diego. Um, a lot. I mean, that farm system for the Padres is deep. So if even though Urias was, yeah, was stacked, highly regarded. I mean, there's about two or three guys ready to chomp at the bit that he fails, and so they can jump in and take his spot. So uh, in Milwaukee, there's nobody else. I mean, who else is out there? I mean, uh, Orlando Arcia at short. I mean, Obviously, El Garcia could be an an interesting pick. I, I do like him in that ballpark. He had a really good under the radar year for the Rays, but definitely not something I'd be getting my hopes up over. Yeah. So uh, Leon wants to ask about Austin Riley. Uh, the- was he the Did third he baseman slash disappear on your list? I'm sorry, what? Um, a return for Riley, not unless he can hit a breaking ball. <laughs> He's got real power. I'll, I'll yeah. give him that. Yeah. But you can't post a over 30% strikeout rate with a sub 5% walk rate and a chase rate like way higher than anybody else in the league. It, he's just got too many holes in the swing right now. Yeah. Otherwise, Statcast numbers look pretty damn decent. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, he hits the ball hard when he when he makes contact. Makes contact <laughs> right. Well, I guess I, I put up uh, all the players up here uh, on the offensive side because it's that time to talk about your utility spots, and we're already over an hour. We still got pitchers to go, so let's quickly move on. I got Marcelo Zuna. You pick Lourdes Gurriel. Uzuna. I, we talked about him before. Um, he's kind of that Jekyll and Hyde uh, outfielder um, for. And now he's with the Braves, so that should bode well. I think just getting away from St. Louis. And in general practice, getting away from St. Louis is always an improvement for anybody. So Ask Tommy Pham. <laughs> Ask Tommy Pham. Oh, for sure. So I, I like Ozuna coming into this season, um, especially uh, as a, a fourth He hit into a lot of bad luck last year. I'll give yeah, him that. We talked about that before. But yeah. why Lourdes Gurriel? I mean, that was kind of a pick that I did not expect you to make. He had a – hidden if you, if you check out his baseball savant page it's not the most enticing but it does have a lot of red high exit velocity high hard hit percentage and finally started he was a pretty well regarded prospect in the blue jay system uh 26 it's a little bit old for you know he came out of cuba with the the brother or is he brother cousin he's of yuli guriel yeah um and he had a in how many games did he play? I gotta gotta find that real fast. Well, I could tell you how many. Eighty-four games. In eighty-four games, he hit yeah. twenty home runs and fifty RBIs. You extract that over a full season. I mean, he had a OPS almost at eight seventy. He hits the ball hard. He finally got comfortable in a lineup. And like I said, I like that core nucleus of hitters that Toronto has right now of Biggio Bichette. Guerrero and Guriel. I think those are your top four. I'm not sure how they're going to order them aside from probably Biggio leadoff and Guerrero batting uh, cleanup. But I, I think Guriel is going to be a, a slept on guy. It was funny. I know earlier one of my one of the guys I follow on Twitter. He did a comp between Guriel and Glaber Torres, and it triggered lots of people. <laughs> I mentioned that there's four. Uh... Son, uh, three sons of former major league players, and then you got Gurriel, who's 
the brother of a major leaguer. <laughs> oldest brother. So it's a family affair up in Toronto. And that takes care of the hitters. Let's move on to the starting pitchers. And uh, let me go back to my little obscure lineup sheet. Uh, we are in, a, in acquiescence with Aaron Nola, Brandon Woodruff, and Zach Wheeler. I mean, Aaron Nola, top 15 pitcher. Brandon Woodruff is like a top 20 pitcher for me. And Zach Wheeler is uh, in that second or third tier uh, in my book. Um, any, like, little tidbits that no one would know about these three pitchers that they, sh- that they should know at this point? In the list I sent to you, it, it doesn't show here, but I actually had Zach Wheeler as my number one pitcher of these uh, four teams. Yes, he did. Sorry and it's that. funny because out of the five guys I picked, he has the highest ERA over the last three years, barely exceeding uh, Brandon Woodruff's 3.87. Over the last three years, Wheeler has an ERA of 3.94. But if you cut that down to take out his 2017 season, which was his first return from Tommy John, he actually has an ERA, if this ad would get out of my way, uh, he actually has an ERA of not much lower, but 3.65. When you look at his baseball savant page, and just really when you watch him pitch, he has the most complete arsenal of all five guys, I believe, listed in mine and yours. He has the plus fastball, a plus curveball, plus slider, and the changeup is very underrated. He's very good at limiting weak contact. For his stuff, he hasn't struck out as many guys as you would think. He's actually, over the last two years, a sub-nine Ks per nine guy, which is kind of shocking. But when you look at Baseball Savant and you use their player similarity ranking, the closest guy to Zach Wheeler is Garrett Cole. And what I think you're going to have during the life of his new contract in Philadelphia, especially if Philadelphia can retain JT Real Muto, who has turned out to be one of the better pitch framers in baseball, that a lot of Zach Wheeler's stuff, that last year he had the least amount of strikes in the, the shadow zone, which is the zones right around the edge of the strike zone. He had the least amount of those pitches called for strikes, partly in due to Wilson Ramos's inability to frame. Right. Uh, JT Real Muto was, I think, either one or two in getting shadow zone pitches called for strikes. And, I mean, you, you talk about the number of strikes that just exponentially increases in the more strikes you get, the more strikeouts you're going to get. Um, I just think he has the most complete arsenal to become the true ace that he's being paid to be. Even if his typical ERA numbers aren't showing it, or even the strikeout numbers – his stuff, his pedigree, his approach are just too good. And he's still just entering his prime. I think he's 28, 29 years old. So I definitely think he's going to explode onto the scene once he gets to Philadelphia and gets into a Phillies uniform. Yeah, if I were to rank by pedigree and just reading on their scouting reports when they were all in the minors, I would put Wheeler at number one, Nola at number two, Woodruff at number three. Unfortunately, this is uh, what have you done for me business and as much as I like Zach Wheeler, um, I, Aaron Nola is just a little bit more safe, has a higher floor, so to speak. Brandon yep. Woodruff, at this point of his career, looks like he has the most explosive stuff. And then there's Zach Wheeler, who you just mentioned, had complete arsenal, but when is he going to put it together? So if you're telling me all it takes is a different, uh, a difference in, uh, what do you call it, in scenery and getting a different catcher who can actually catch and, and, and frame, then – the Phillies aren't in, are in business, but until we see that, it's kind of hard to, like I mentioned, the Phillies aren't trouble, man. That that you see, I, I actually think the opposite. I, I think they have a 
a better chance of being better than the Braves this next year. Uh, I'm in the minority in that, but um, kind of (laughs) scooting back to Wheeler real fast. uh, There was some controversy that Mets GM Brody Van Wagenen said, you know, we were happy that Zach was able to parlay two great half seasons into the contract he got, which is true. In the second half of both 18 and 19, Wheeler was one of the best pitchers. Uh, if I could pull it up here, it's going to be insane. He's at a 3.64 ERA now, and you go to his second half numbers over the last two years, and he has a 2.83 ERA, drops by almost a full run. He just induces so much weak contact. He, I'm not sure how much how good the infield defense in Philly is going to be, but it's just hard. I mean, he's like in the same camp as Hyunjin Ryu in limiting co- hard contact. So there's that. <laughs> and then the last four guys, I kind of had a, I, I have them paired off. Is Aaron Nola and Brandon Woodruff. They both have elite-level pitches. Woodruff has the two great fastballs, but his secondaries leave a lot to be desired. And Aaron Nola has great breaking stuff, but his fastball is kind of, you know, nothing to write home about. All right. Since I'm kind of curious to see why you like the the freaking Phillies of all teams, I am going to share – I don't know if you guys can see that, but I am going to share the Phillies roster resource – uh, lineup. Just Come to at see. me. Come okay. at me, bro. All right, McCutcheon, <laughs> you're you're depending on a, on a 33-year-old to bounce back from knee injury. Okay. Uh, Gene Segura, we just talked about. Hey, number two, he might not be a bad number two, but, you know, it's Gene Segura. He's uh, yeah, he, he's a good two-hitter. I like him as a yeah, two-hitter. Yeah, but he's on the decline. I mean, come on. He's declining as we speak. I mean, um, obvious. I, I think you would have real Muto as your two-hitter, honestly. Yeah, that might, I mean, that, that would be that would not be, might not be a bad idea. And I'm looking at my phone, making sure that you guys can all see this. I'll, I'll make this a little bit bigger yes. if I can. In the meantime, uh, Bryce Harper, number three, we talked about him. And then the boring Reese Hoskins, perfect at number four. But he's, I don't know, man. If you're depending on that guy to make or break your season, you're in trouble. JT Real Muto, we talked about him at number five. He should probably be number two. <laughs> Edie Gregorius uh, coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, I know he's, uh, what, a year or two removed, but it remains to be seen if he can actually um, be as productive as he was in, with the Yankees. Scott Kingery. Scott Kingery! I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Kingery, to be honest. Uh, I'm not. That's, I mean, that's your number seven hitter at second he's base. He's your eight hitter and your second baseman. Oh, seven, okay. I thought he was eight. I actually like Hazley. I like Hazley. I don't even know who that guy is. <laughs> and Alec Bohm, I think, is really going to inject a lot into that lineup. Uh, I'm not – and you, you – Alec Bohm? No, I know prospect. who Alec Bohm is. You, I don't know who Adam Hazley. second. Oh, oh. Oh, he came up when um, Odubel Herrera had his whole uh, – he, he played serviceable. He's a less-speed, solid defense. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry, Pedro. I'm sorry. Unspectacular. Okay, uh, let's see the bench. Josh Harrison. Oh God. Jay Bruce. Oh my God. Neil Walker. Hey, Jay Bruce raked for them after the trade. It yeah. was home run or bust, but he raked. And now he's on the bench. <laughs> yeah, but he can't even beat out Adam Hazley for that outfield position. Get out of here, man. 
I mean, uh, you have to think. There, Jay Bruce is in a situation the Mets were in basically two years ago in which they have nothing but corner outfielders. <laughs> Moving on to the starting pitching, Jake Arrieta. Which Jake Arrieta are we getting this upcoming season? Zach Wheeler, people still have questions about him. Aaron Nola, I think he's solid. Um, so he should be good. Vince Velasquez, uh, Jekyll and Hyde player. Zach Eflin is still your number Spent- five pitcher. Wow. The number five starter I've actually heard is supposed to be Spencer Howard, their top pitching prospect who's yeah. inside the top 100. He's actually supposed to be – they were looking at him as a opening day starter. Uh, or not I, like opening day starter, but yeah, on the I team know. opening day. But, you're, yeah, it's the same thing that I told White Sox fans. You don't want to depend on too much on – unproven rookies to save the day for you. I mean, that's why you got Zach Elfman, but Zach Elfman sucks. I'm sorry. And the bullpen is I mean, Hector Neris and then a bunch of guys. Nick Pavetta. Remember Nick Pavetta last year? How everybody talked about Oh my god. He the so much hype of Nick Pavetta. The Nick Pavetta hype train everybody officially derailed. <laughs> and then Francisco Liriano is your left-handed uh, reliever right there as well. Oliver Perez track right there. <laughs> no, no, sir. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And this you see, I don't like either the Braves or the Phillies bullpens, and I think that is what it will come down to. I don't think either of them are particularly strong. I think Smith and Naris are both, you know, their their go to guys. It's just how they bounce back. Uh, last year, Phillies bullpen got, I mean, absolutely annihilated by injury. They lost Naris for a bit of time. They lost both Dominguez and David Robertson to Tommy John surgery. I mean, they lost a lot of guys that kind of, to me, led to their downfall. But I like the offensive potential. I, I think people are sleeping on Harper. They're sleeping on Hoskins, th- that duo right there back-to-back. Lots of power, lots of on-base potential. I, I like them. Uh, it's not that I don't like the Braves. I like the starting pitching more for the Phillies. I don't know. I think they're right there, toe for toe, the Braves. And yeah, they're, they're, the they're definitely close. I mean, they're, yeah. they're close. It's not I, like I, a, I know a ginormous that, gap. I know that Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler are probably safer choices, but it's not like Zach Wheeler has shown in the past, even though you, you're, you're telling me that this, is, this should be a bounce. Uh, uh, the Zach Wheeler that we've all expected. I mean, and, and we talk about on this show, 30 for pitchers, it seems to be like the new 27 or hitters, yeah. right? Uh, what, what, you, what we used to think about 27 being for hitters. But toe for toe, I think the Braves starting rotation can go toe-to-toe with the Phillies. I actually love the Braves bullpen, and that is why – and you add the fact that they're a little bit more explosive on the offensive side. How can you not like the Braves to win that uh, traditional NL East division? And I, I'm now seeing that Pedro, Pedro Rijo is going after you a little bit here. Uh, for not liking yeah, I, I figured that was I, I told you I told you I was gonna get yelled at in the comments today <laughs> oh man anyway uh Max Fried and uh, Adrian Hauser are the two starting pitchers at number four number five for me you went by uh, Mike Soroka and Hyun Jin Ryu uh let's start with you uh Mike Soroka what do you like about him uh, right now, the, the reason, like I said, I, I paired off Nola and Woodruff together in the fact that they don't have the best, you know, extra arsenal. They both have very good plus pitches. Ryu and Soroka are paired off for the same reason as well, that they're not going to be your strikeout guys, but both are extremely good at limiting hard contact. And Ryu, it's about staying healthy 
as well as surviving the brutal AL East, which is just so tough on lefties. I mean, just some of the guys he's going to have to face, J.D. Martinez, Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, Luke Voigt, all these guys that just crush left-handed pitching in nothing but hitters parks. I, that's just – that's going to be tough. Um, even for a guy who last year Ryu was almost seemed to be the favorite to win the Cy Young before he kind of fell off in the second half. And – I, I picked them just to protect my ratios. I did really want to pick Adrian Hauser and Max Freed. Uh, I, I like Hauser and I like Freed. I actually think Freed has the highest ceiling in that Braves uh, rotation. And I like Hauser. Hauser seems like Woodruff Light, great fastballs, iffy breaking stuff. But th- they just aren't far enough to where I can pick them over established guys like Ryu and Soroka. Yeah, I, I I I like Soroka a lot, but he's still on the young side, 22 years old. And uh, Max Fried showed that he had more swing and miss capabilities than his counter, his uh, teammate, his uh, right-handed counterpart in Atlanta. So that's why I went with uh, Max Fried, as you can see from this list. Uh, yeah, in terms of I, I, I won't miss. I won't hate on that. I I really do like Max Fried. He just couldn't crack it for me. And well, that's why I picked him just because of that. He's 26 years old. I remember him with the Padres organization. We're just kind of waiting. He's right been here. around for a while. I didn't realize that. Yeah, he was with the Padres. I'm, I'm thinking yeah, he right was. Guy. He was. Yeah. And he's finally coming uh, a little bit of fruition here uh, to, to meeting that potential. So I uh, I kind of expect more of the same from him. I know that he everybody likes Max Fried this year too. So I'm jumping on that bandwagon. Uh, Adrian Hauser, I think we talked about him numerous times. I think you and I have talked about him. Yeah. Uh, as someone that I have him I really, in the 30 team league. Yeah, oh, of course you do. But I, someone I really like, and just for whatever reason, I just can't get to him. Uh, and in all my drafts, I think I struck out all three times in these drafts that I was trying to get to him. But Adrian Hauser is the reason why Brewers fans should be happy that they are a step closer to having a semblance of a starting rotation this year. Yeah. Um, let's, let's take a look. Let's see. Who do I have as my Brewers players uh, as starting pitcher? Oh, Eric Lauer, Brett Anderson. Yeah, it's Lauer and uh, Lindbaum are supposed to be like the the two guys because they traded Zach Days mm-hmm. to the Padres. Lindbaum came over from the KBO. Um, Peralta signed that contract, but they seem intent on using him as a bullpen arm. I was going to say Lindbaum, I, he's kind of intriguing. I kind of like him. Uh, those, usually those guys who go to Korea and then – He's like the Miles Michaelis. He's, he's going to be the next Miles Michaelis. <laughs> well, that was, uh, that's exactly where I was going with him. That they, they're very intriguing players to uh, keep an eye on to see if, uh, if what they learn in, in Asia actually translates to Major League Baseball. Usually we remember the times that it did streamline well, but uh, we, I, I still take a very, like, you know, what do you call it, uh, wait-and-see approach with those guys because you never know. Although with Miles Mikolas last year or two years ago, whenever it was that he came in, I was all in on Miles Mikolas. I made sure to draft him in all my leagues just because. Uh, yeah, Lindbaum developed a almost like a splitter screwball combo that he used pretty well in the KBO, and that was kind of his redemption pitch to get him back into the major leagues. And apparently he pitched pretty well in spring, you know, not like anything crazy. but. And as far as Adrian Hauser goes, oh, uh, so Eric Lauer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still think that spot in the rotation is going to go to somebody like Freddie Peralta or Corbin Burns. I, I still think those are going to be really? two guys to look at. Uh, you have Corbin Burns in your bullpen. Yeah, um, I, I, I actually believe he has great stuff, and he just got rocked last year. I, I, he's way better than his numbers last year showed. 
And then Brett Anderson is basically a 32-year-old version of Eric Lauer, I believe. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, this is why we're the Brewers. Otherwise, the Brewers, I mean, they have the bullpen horses to catapult them to that, uh, you know, a traditional NL Central victory. But starting rotation is always going to be a struggle for them. And that should wrap it up for starting rotation. Let's quickly finish this up with the uh, bullpen guys. We both have Hayter. We both have Ken Giles. We both have Hector Neris. Uh, we talked about Hector Neris uh, at nausea because he's always on my team, right? So we talked yep. about his splitter. And he has the best splitter. <laughs> so we, we don't have to talk about him. Ken Giles, I always talk about him because I made sure this year to target him in every single one of my fantasy leagues, which I think I got him in all three of my leagues. Josh Hader, uh, I, the reason I have Corbin Burns is because I honestly do believe the Brewers are not going to be able to help themselves. And they're just – they're going to turn Josh Hader into Andrew Miller and – Someone has to step up and be the traditional ninth inning closer. That man, Corbin Burns. So give me all of that when he comes back. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, when he uh, eventually gets – I honestly foresee a scenario where Corbin Burns should be the ninth inning guy um, when it's all said and done. Uh, like mentioned, you have – Are, are you – do you think Corey Knabel can take any – he will. I mean, do you see him coming back or anything? I, I, or? I actually, I actually do. And let me get to that sheet. Um, I have a sheet for everything. I'm a piece of sheets. Yeah. The sheets. <laughs> ah, sheet. Uh, I had the Brewers as my <laughs> number two. I, as you can see, I had Chapman, but I also liked the situation because they, no, no one's going to dispute that Aroldis Chapman is the closer for the Yankees. The way I'm kind of doubting that Josh Hader is the closer for the Brewers. But he also, I mean, there's like all these other guys too. Go, got Corbin Burns, got Freddie Peralta, Corey Knebel, who you just mentioned. Was yeah, they out. have a lot of really good options. I, I'm not going to hate on them. They Brent, have a lot of good options. Brent Suter, who uh, I guess they're giving up on him as a. Let me make this a little bit bigger. Uh, I didn't realize people. I see him being a swingman guy, Suter. Yeah. Kind of the Carlos Torres mold. Yeah, but he he has stuff to be a bullpen guy. David Phelps is the, that veteran presence. Uh, Ray Black, I saw. There's something about Ray Black that I like that I had no choice but to add him. Throws hard. It. I, I think I think he throws really hard. That's from – I vaguely remember that. Uh, target return date by May. Well, guess what? The season's going to be starting hopefully in May or June. He should be ready to go. So, yeah, I'm a little bit uh, – uh, what do you call it? Uh, a little bit uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Gunshot about Corbin Burns. But – it's going to take Knable some time to work his way up, isn't it? Right? Even if he comes yeah, back in May I mean, or June. Yeah. And, of course, you mentioned Freddie Peralta already. I think he's on I just team. feel like one of those two guys is going to end up a starter. But even Milwaukee doesn't know which one. <laughs> I'm telling you. Until, until <laughs> you they think with – I was going to say – I was just going to say, until they realize – until they figure out which one of those guys it's going to be, I – Honestly, see a, a, a situation where Hayter is going to turn into Andrew Miller and Corbin Burns is going to have to step up in the ninth inning and get those saves. And everybody else is going to be the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning guys. Because let's face it, there's, there's going to be a fifth inning guy for the Brewers as well. We saw that rotation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. They're, they're not world beaters in the rotation, but this is what makes the Brewers special. It's these guys right here out of their bullpen. Go ahead. And it's the thing is, Freddie Peralta just signed that team friendly Ozzy Albies. It, it's almost like identical, I think. It's like seven years, 35 million almost. And when he was in the Dominican Winter League this year, he was working on a slider. 
I believe, because he was one of those like Bartolo Colon-esque guys where he just went up there and he threw fastball, 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 almost like Josh Hader. Josh Hader throws nothing but his fastball, and he has a good one, and that's why. But as a starter, you can't get by throwing a fastball 80% of the time. It just doesn't work. And he was under the tutelage of, I believe, Phil Regan, the Mets longtime uh, kind of pitching instructor, pitching coach, and he was doing really well. And I think it's like when you look at Peralta right now, he has the great fastball and a solid changeup. So you would think bullpen guy. You know, he has the one great pitch put in there. But if he develops that slider, he suddenly becomes more of a starting pitching guy to look for. Meanwhile, Corbin Burns is more fastball slider that could also work in the bullpen, but he doesn't really have any other solidified third pitch. So both guys are kind of in the same boat, but I would think if the Brewers are committing $35 million to a player, you want him in the rotation. You don't want him in the bullpen. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, that's me. That's, that's usually a traditional thought right there. Like, you're going to pay a guy not to come in out of the bullpen, but to go in Especially right if you're locking him up. Like, that. that's what doesn't make sense to me. But we are living in a 2020 world where nothing makes sense anymore. I mean, <laughs> bullpen, I mean, we saw a 2015 Kansas City Royals win on the strength of their bullpen. When you look at yeah. their rotation, there was nothing special about their rotation. Just Chris happened. Young Chris Young, and uh, Edison Volk has started World Series games, and they won. I mean, How about on. that? How about that? I mean, 6'11", Chris Young, but, but not they, the outfielder but, Chris Young. <laughs> I was going to say, they all, but they all peak at the right time for them anyway. I mean, I mean, Johnny Cueto wasn't anything special. I mean, he was always a borderline number one, number two starter, and then he gets to yeah. Kansas City, and he just Traded lights, there. lights up the world. Um uh, Matt Bushnell mentioned how the Reds are going to cause a problem in, this, in the traditional NL Central. I'm looking at their bullpen. Uh, Rice Lee Glazes is still your closer. One thing I'll say about the Reds is at least they know what they want out of their bullpen. Why they want Rice Lee Glazes to be their closer, I have no idea. Amir Garrett, uh, good guy, good pitcher, but not a good guy, but good you know relief pitcher, I should say. <laughs> but uh, uh, he still has a little bit of control problems. Michael Lorenzen will I don't know. Have you seen this? Like, Lorenzen's going to be utilized as both a hitter and a pitcher? I mean, that's what happened last year was he would be put in situations where they knew he was going to pitch either multiple innings or that his spot in the lineup was going to come up. And, I mean, he's not a world-class hitter, but if you need multiple innings, you're comfortable with him still hitting unless you're, you know, losing or tied. But I, I wasn't here last week to discuss it. But Michael Lorenzen is my sneak pick to end up as the Reds' closer by the end of the year. Oh, wow. The only other pitcher in baseball that had a higher whiff rate – or a um, Josh Hader was number one in baseball in whiff rate. The number two was Robert Steven – or not Robert Steven, Michael Lorenzen. I, I get those two guys confused so much. Michael Lorenzen's slider started throwing it more and had a whiff rate of almost 60% on his slider. And it's funny because you look at this guy and it's like, he looks like Captain America. He's just nothing but muscle. And it's like, how can you spin such a tiny ball with all those muscles? I, I, I don't know, but he is my sneak pick to end up as Cincinnati's closer. I'm not sure if Iglesias will be traded or just relegated in the bullpen, but I, I really like Lorenzen's potential to move up, especially as a multi-inning guy. Yeah. He's always been that guy. Uh who is like kind of in the shadows, kind of in the, in the you know, 
backlight or whatever you want to – I mean, he, he's had a weird development. He came up as the yeah. starter, didn't really work out, and has just ended up in the bullpen since. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I believe he's excelled uh, as best as making yeah. out of a bad situation in Cincinnati. You mentioned Robert Stevens. Well, we mentioned Robert Stevens for you last week. But looking at the Reds' bullpen, I'm sorry, they're not as good as the Brewers' bullpen. Uh, and not, and we haven't even started talking. I mean, one thing I will say about the Reds, hell of a starting rotation for sure. Lineup-wise, however, I mean, they have way too many platoon systems for my liking. And it's not like the way we were glowingly talking about the Tampa Bay Rays last week, me and uh, Henry and I talking about them, uh, where everything, every player knows their role. Every player knows when they're going to go and play. With the Reds, I don't think they have it locked up like that yet. I think that there's so many question marks, there's so many holes in that lineup with their everyday position players. It's not – I don't think it's a slam dunk that everybody's making it out to be that the Reds are just going to go in and just dominate this division. Um, oh, no, there's still something to go with it. It's a four, It's going to be a four-team race just like it's always been. Everybody's going to beat up on the Pirates. Again, traditionally speaking, everybody's going to beat up on the Pirates, and uh, there's still a lot of talent with the Cubs. Uh, one thing I don't like, it's their bullpen, which is – as you see, I only have two relievers for the Cubs that are worth uh, keeping track of this year for, for fantasy purposes. But they still have a decent rotation. I mean, it's not the rotation that – it's not ideal, but it's a decent rotation nonetheless. But now we're getting off track. Uh, let's finish up with uh, right here. Mark Melanson, Will Smith. You have Will Smith as your last reliever. It's a solid – I love the choice. The one thing I don't like about it is that I honestly do think the Braves are – uh, they're set on keeping Melanson as a closer and Will Smith going to be the late inning relief pitcher uh, for any uh, bad situations that they find themselves in. Uh, what do you have to say about Will Smith? I think he is going to take the job from Mark Melanson once again. He did it in San Francisco. He's going to do it again in Atlanta. And I just wanted to correct myself. I kept saying Mark um, Michael Lorenzen had the second highest whiff rate, but it was in fact actually Robert Stevenson. Like I said, I get those two guys confused a lot. <laughs> but yeah, Will Smith. I think Will Smith ends up the closer. They're not paying him all that money to not be the closer. Mark Melanson's about to finish the last year of his big contract, I believe. So I, I think they're going to end up relegating him sooner or later. I don't know, man. Again, uh, 2020 world, nothing makes sense anymore. Uh, <laughs> I honestly do think they paid him all that money just so they, he could be that seventh and eighth inning guy. It, it, they need to come up with like some sort of statistic that actually values these late inning relief guys uh, accordingly because all they got is saves and holds, and we all know holds is kind of a flawed statistic in itself. Yeah. But uh, honestly, I think the new thing coming moving forward is – who's going to be there pitching for me in the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning to get to the ninth inning. And I think those guys are, are eventually their days are going to come where they're going to be equally, if not more valued than the actual closers, uh, which is kind of funny to say out loud, but we've seen it in the, in the last five or six years, right? Andrew Miller, guys like Dylan Betances, he went to your Mets. And yep. Betances in my, is in my mind because Henry couldn't stop talking about him last week in your absence. So <laughs> uh, I think that's where this, this is going. And I think this is a good place to stop. Uh, final word from you, Sean, go ahead. Next week's going to be interesting. We're going to have a lot of all-star studs, some Astros in our lineups and pitching staffs. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be tough to, to pick out amongst all of the, uh, the world series favorites, plus the Cardinal, sorry, Cardinal fans. 
But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. We're going to wrap up. Can you believe that after next week we're going to have finished all 30 teams? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I and, never thought we'd, re- we'd make it this far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the fact that we were able to uh, extend the, uh, the, the offseason a little longer kind of helped us. And uh, otherwise, we were, I was going to ask if you wanted to go twice a week. If, but with the season being – we don't know when the season started. It actually worked into our favor. Yeah, perfect. Um, and then after next week, I don't know. That's when it gets murky for me because I don't know <laughs> when I'm going to pull the plug. I think I have maybe one more week in May to keep going. You got maybe it. two weeks in May. I, I, then, I don't think that's your decision. I, I think that's uh, baby uh, Malicio's decision. And that is why <laughs> I'm kind of like hesitant to put anything in stone because once you get to that second or third week of May, uh, that's when the shit hits the fan. Um, Leon, thank you for the support. Keep, keep selling us to keep drumming. Yeah, thanks, the, man. Keep banging on the drum. So, as long as uh, I'm allowed to, I hate to use that term "allowed," but yeah, it's not. It's not my wife I'm afraid of. It's the baby who I'm afraid of. So, <laughs> as long as I'm allowed, you're gonna I'm, hold it. Gonna hold it against you as you're an old man, <laughs> or, or, or as I'm doing the podcast, right? Like, yeah, shut up, baby. I'm doing. I'm talking about baseball. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, um, so I don't know when the last show is gonna be. Uh, I, I'll definitely talk to you uh, off the air to give you a little bit more detail as soon as I get the details but yeah I'm proud that we are going to get to the last five teams of this series and then after that uh, the world is our oyster we, we're not going to be uh, relegated or what do you call it um, tied down to these uh, 30 teams yeah for sure for sure all right guys well thanks so much for listening Sean thanks for uh, coming on board and uh, we'll see you all next week